have to talk very fast in the car with Micah, and you know how the radio would delay from starting, so we started, it was just at the point they did the uh, the fine, kind of took us back, and did the what I say? <laughs> he had no idea to talk so fast, I felt like I have to talk like that tonight to get through this, but um, we'll, uh, we'll just touch on some of the highlights here. Uh, we're talking in Job 9, where we're at tonight, Job chapter 9, we have had Bildad has come at Job, <clears throat> and uh, while you turn there, I just wanted to uh, mention uh, the great last night, Pastor Nick and I went to SDSU. We got to speak to uh, the kids there and uh, really appreciate uh, Brother Caleb setting that up for us and giving us that opportunity. I don't know, but we had people there in great contacts. We're really praying about a on-campus ministry. Um, that was a great start there, but uh, good good group of kids got to a little bit. Uh, the response of Job to Bildad is a response that especially focuses on God. And we're going to look at that tonight. The last part of Bildad's speech focused on God, and then Job agreed with him. He says here in verse 2 that uh, he does agree. Um, and uh, he let him know that he also knew this about God. I know this is so of a truth, in verse 2. And uh, he, <laughs> I think that agreement has a little bit of veiled sarcasm in it. Uh, you're not telling me anything I don't know, Bildad, as he's pontificating on all his knowledge about God. Uh, Job's friends kind of treat Job like he's ignorant of who God is and preaching to him, uh, but their speeches not only did not add anything to Job's knowledge about God, they also didn't clear up any questions that Job has about all that's going on. Remember, Job is struggling, all right? He's going through a really tough time, and these questions came because of his troubles, not because of his doubts. And when we are going through an intense time of suffering, uh, it's going to bring uncertainties into our mind, and that's why encouragement from godly friends is very important at that time. Now, it doesn't help that all three of these knuckleheads that came to comfort him uh, are convinced that Job has sinned in some great way and has brought this all on himself. And so, all this now we've had not one but two of his friends have told, is essentially told Job, "Your kids got what was coming to them. All his kids die." And here you have a friend say, yeah, they probably deserved it because they were obviously did something wicked. Just imagine the depth of this, of this uh, really rotten counsel that he's getting. So Job opposes their conclusions, and rightly so. Of course, he does admit to being a sinner, as we'll see here, but he does not admit to the fact that he has sinned in some way to bring this particular judgment on him. And so... Uh, that's the difference there, we'll see. But let's start reading. I'm only going to read a few verses because what we're going to go, we're kind of doing a verse by verse through chapter 9. And so rather than reading everything twice, I'll kind of read as we go through. But uh, verse 1, then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who hath hardened himself against him and hath who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered, which removeth the mountains, they knew not, uh, they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble, which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not, and sealeth up the stars. And we'll look at more as we go along. But let's pray real quick, Father, I pray you'd help us in these few minutes here that we would uh, just grasp something that uh, will be a help to our service to you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Job starts out here, and now many things that Job says in this chapter about God are correct. Some things are not correct, 
Uh, again, he's speaking out of a place of grief, and we often are not thinking straight in times of grief. We say things <coughs> and do things sometimes that are not really in keeping with our character because of the situation we're in. Job does say some harsh things about God here, and uh, looking at God through the pain of affliction gives us a distorted view. Can I say that again? Think about that statement. Looking at God through a, the pain of affliction. It gives us a distorted view sometimes. I mean, does God really care? Why is this happening to me? And it sometimes changes our view of things. But let's break down what he has to say. He starts out with the greatness of God here. <coughs> he says some wonderful things about the greatness of God, but he looks at it in a very fatalistic way. Have you ever known somebody really fatalistic? I mean, everything is, I mean, he says the right things, but it all is kind of um, pointing down or, or coming across harsh. God is great. Uh, uh, what is man but a creature that is uh, subject to the unpredictability of his will? This is what he's basically saying here. It's kind of the same the way that some people look at the sovereignty of God. If God is sovereign, then man is nothing but a puppet. I mean, what we do and what we say, we can't choose anything. Everything's been mapped out for us because of God's sovereignty. This kind of fatalistic view ignores other truths in the Bible about God. It sullies God's wisdom. It sullies God's compassion. And uh, so, but this is kind of the way he's coming at it here. Look at what it says in verse 2. How should a man be just with God? He wonders how man can ever be expect to be justified before God. That is, by the way, the word justified there means to be declared righteous by God. We sometimes use justified never sin. That's what justified means. Justified never sin. We're declared righteous before God. The most important pursuit of our life is justification. Now, it's not how men see it. <clears throat> Sadly, very few people are worried about justification. They're too uh, consumed with vain pursuits in life. And of course, they'll pay for that for eternity. But today we have a New Testament that plainly gives the answer to Job's question. We are justified through faith, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We're justified through the blood of Christ, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, these are set very clear in the New Testament. As a result... We are declared righteous by a holy God. Isn't that wonderful, by the way? That we are, that when God sees us, He sees us as righteous through His Son. Imperfections that we have, sinful though we are, He sees us in our standing as righteous. So waiting to be justified before God does not mean that Job is wanting to, uh, or wanting to be justified. It does not mean that he's confessing here of some great sin that resulted in his trouble anyway. He just understands that everyone is unholy in the sight of God. All men have sinned is his message here. So he mentions three divine hindrances to justification. The challenge of arguments in verse number three. If you will contend with him, he cannot answer him. One of a thousand. If a man goes to court with God, we can't defend ourselves. If we are taken to court for our sin, we would be condemned. Second, the challenge of attributes, verse four. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. There is no way that a man can justify himself before God. Uh, there's, there's no way that we could do that on our own. Third, the challenge of adversaries. Verse 4, who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered. No person has ever opposed God and succeeded. No one has won a case against God in this matter of justification. And for that, we praise God for the gospel. We praise God that Jesus Christ did that for us because he who tries to justify himself by his own works will never win the case. So Job is right there. 
He is absolutely correct. There's no way that we, through our own selves, could uh, get ourselves declared righteous by God. But any sinner who comes through Jesus Christ will always win their case. Amen? Because of what Christ did. Looking also at the power of His greatness. Job mentions a number of things here that shows the power of God. The shaking by His power. Verse 5, which removed the mountains they knew not, uh, overturneth them. He shaketh the earth out of her place in verse 6, and the pillars thereof tremble. Uh, God's power enables him to shake the earth at his will. Always, <clears throat> you know, we see things like Katrina and earthquakes and hurricanes. And uh, it, it's, it's sad that even when that happens, they call them acts of God. But <clears throat> there's really, uh, you'd think that that would let man uh, realize how powerless we really are against God. God controls, unfortunately, uh, we live in a time that does not credit the, the power of God for those things. But... Uh, God is in control of all those things, and we are very little in his sight. He has great power, the sun in his power, verse 7, which commandeth the sun, and it riseth not. Uh, God's power controls the movements of the sun. Scientists one day will recognize this power, if they do not now. The stars in his power, verse 7, says he sealeth up the stars. The word sealeth has to do with concealing something. Uh, God can make the stars shine or conceal them from mankind. Uh, the seas in his power, verse 8, he treadeth upon the waves of the sea. Jesus Christ did this literally in Matthew chapter 14. He walked on the sea. Uh, he has that power. The sky in his power, verse 8, alone spreadeth out the heavens. Verse 9, maketh uh, uh, Arcturus, Orion, and Pletus, and the chambers of the south. These are uh, the, the, This is God's power enabling him to fill the skies, and he did so in creation. The spectacular in his power, verse 10, uh, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. This is kind of the, the summary statement after Job lists some things that God does. He does uh, wonders without number. He's done so many uh, spectacular things, it's impossible to list them all. We today honor man for his so-called greatness. We have the the uh, Nobel Peace Prize and other things that we do to, to lift up man, would, to, would, would that man would be more involved in honoring God for his true greatness. Look at verse number 11. We see the perception of his greatness. Lo, he goeth by me, and I see him not. He passeth on also, and I perceive, but I perceive him not. Job sees the work of God in creation. He sees the greatness of God's power, but Job does not see God. The invisibleness of God is not discrediting He's too great to be perceived by the human eye. The Bible says in 1 John 4.12, no man has seen God at any time. The idea here uh, is that the greater the person, the less likely mankind will see him. And, and we don't, uh, Job is, he, he's again discouraged here, and he just doesn't feel like God is there. Sometimes that was, that's what happens in our life as we suffer and go through hard times. Behold, verse 12, behold, he taketh away who can hinder him, and who will say unto him, what doest thou? God's power is superior to any power. No one can prohibit his actions. Daniel 4.35 says much the same thing. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Same question. God is too great to be challenged, to be limited, or to be opposed. Our president has some power, uh, but it can be limited by an uncooperative Congress. Nobody can limit our God's power. Uh, he is ultimately powerful. Then look at the punishment by his greatness. Verse 13. <clears throat> if God will not withdraw his anger, the proud helpers do stoop under him. The proud helpers here 
would refer to anything or anyone that would be in an exalted position. And they are utterly helpless against the punishment of God because God is so great. It does not matter how good I, I heard him referred to as a cupcake. Justin Trudeau, the uh, entitled cupcake. Doesn't matter how great he thinks he is. Doesn't matter how great our president thinks or kings and kings think they are. They will all be humbled before God. Uh, there's a great peril in disobeying and opposing God, no matter who we are. And so uh, that, that's something that's made clear there. And then we see the pessimism of Job as well. Verse 14, How much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him, whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer, but I would make supplication to my judge. The whole argument of God's greatness has to do with how can I ever be just before God? I can never be accepted by Him. God's greatness seems so uh, to Job to make it impossible for him, even if you're innocent, he says here. Verse 15, whom though I were righteous. Now, Job isn't claiming to be sinless, but living an upright life. His pessimism is expressed here in an inability to answer. Verse 14, how much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to, to reason with him? Unwilling to answer, in verse 15, whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer. The pessimism of Job here is that even if God called, it would be useless to answer him. No showing of God's mercy would be enough to convince Job at this time. He's taken an extreme position, which obviously is unsupported by Scripture and is not the true case, but again, this is how we see things when we're going through grieving times sometimes. We don't see God as he really is. We are skewed uh, by our the glasses that we're viewing him through at that time. You could say the glasses. Of... And then he complains, and I, I, I want to rush because I want to get to the main point tonight. Uh, the guile of God is what we see next. He, sees, he, he gives some complaints here and it criticizes God. He doesn't forsake him all the way like Satan wanted, but he does question some of God's actions. Look at verse number 17. For he breaketh me with a tempest, and multiplieth my wounds without cause. He will not suffer me to take my breath, but filleth me with bitterness. He pictures him here as unkind, pictures God, and says so, that he's unkind and unjust. He's doing this to me without cause. Another way of saying, this is not fair. How <laughs> many times have we been there? What's happening to me is not fair. Now, his afflictions were severe. Satan saw to that, we know. But to say that God did it without cause, this is dishonoring to God because he never acts unjustly, ever. God never would do anything without good reason. Now, to be fair, Job, and we, have to, we do have to remember this because this is a big part of the picture, Job doesn't have that window into what happened to bring on his troubles like we have. We say, we see in uh, Job, the book of Job that the angels came before God, Satan stood before God, and, and uh, they have this conversation. And then the Job doesn't have that. He doesn't have the benefit of that knowledge. All he knows is trouble fell upon him. And so we, we need to, in our lives, and this is what I would just implore you to do as well as myself, when hard times come, difficulties come, can we just accept our fate knowing that behind the scenes God knows what he's doing? That's hard to do, very hard to do during times of great grief or disease, illnesses. <clears throat> if not, though, like Job, we're going to start to accuse God of afflicting good reason. This is the path we go down if we don't accept that God knows what it's a tough thing sometimes. Uh, I want to move forward a little bit uh, because he, he continues 
on and in these verses, if you go down through uh, verse number 26, he's, he's talking about the impatience of God, the indifference. Uh, let's touch on that, verse 22. There is one thing, therefore I said it, he destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge slay suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. Now think about that, that God would laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? These are some stiff allegations. God is laughing at the trials of the righteous. He's giving over the keys of the kingdom to the wicked. And he's covering the eyes of the judges. In other words, he's not being fair at all. It's an attitude that sees the wicked prosper, sees the righteous suffer, and concludes that God does not care. Yet, Job's not the only person that's been there. David was there. He, he faced that problem in Psalm 73. The fact that some wicked prosper while the righteous suffer does not mean that God is indifferent. In fact, if you read Psalm 73, you see the conclusion he comes to, then I saw their end. And then it starts to come together, the whole picture. Uh, I forget the exact wording of the phrase. I can't remember who said it either. It's in my notes in my office somewhere. But uh, of course, uh, God sends suffering to the righteous because who else would be able to handle it? It's something along those lines. Uh, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Lord to help us. And he, he also, jumping ahead a little bit, talks about the guilt that he feels. Verse 27 and 28, go down to there. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. Verse 28, I, if I say I will forget my complaint, or that's 27, I'm sorry, I'm afraid of all my sorrows. I know thou wilt not hold me innocent. The sorrow of his guilt, the guilt of sin will soon destroy our joy and replace it with sorrow. He says, uh, also we see the sureness of guilt. Verse 28, Thou wilt not hold me innocent. He feels he has no hope of being justified. He knows he's a sinner, and the fact that God will never find him innocent is a, is a worry to him. Look at verse 29. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? Job concludes if he can't be justified in the eyes of God, why try? Why do anything? Why am I continuing to try to act good? Again, this is the attitude of fatalism. It gives up and thinks that the situation is hopeless. Now, Job would be right. It wouldn't be for Jesus. He'd be right on all this stuff. But look at where he goes next. Uh, and I love this, that we see the solution for guilt. Verse 32. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him. We should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Now, what <clears throat> Job speaking of here, the right solution to the guilt problem and he's saying much more than he realizes here. In fact, I think it's kind of prophetic. He speaks of a mediator. A daysman would be a mediator or a, uh, a um, I guess later tonight as my pillow. And it doesn't matter. Anymore. An advocate. There's the word I'm looking for. An advocate. Uh, that's what he's talking about here. What an amazing foretelling of the gospel. The call for a mediator. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us. We must have a mediator in order to be justified, and God has furnished us with one, a mediator, and that mediator is Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. It is not so with me, Job says, and this speaks of the vainness of removing our own guilt without a mediator. Now, the character of the mediator is very important. He says at verse 32, he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him. God is not a man as we are, 
So the daysman or the mediator would have to, uh, if, if we want to have a correct mediator, have to have the character of man if he is to help man. That's what Job is saying. He's not a man. God's not a man like I am. And so he'd have to have, a mediator would have to represent both sides or he'll be unsatisfactory to one of the sides. God would want God as the mediator. mediator. Man would want man as the mediator, which is Job's emphasis because he is a man. Well, Jesus Christ fit this qualification perfectly. He is God and man. And that's why he's the perfect mediator. That's why we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, he is all God and he is all man. And he stands in between for us. What a blessing. The basic job of a mediator is given here and it's an amazingly accurate one in regards to the gospel. Two main works of the mediator are, are uh, stated here in our text. Verse 34 and verse 35. Let him take his rod away from me. Let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. So the two jobs of the mediator as put in here is the removal of damnation and the removal of dread. Let him take his rod away from me. The removal of damnation. The rod or judgment of God is raised against every sinner. It will strike the sinner in damnation unless someone stops the rod. The work of the mediator is to remove the wrath of God the rod from man. And Jesus does that for everyone who puts their trust in him. What a blessing. Uh, Job doesn't really even realize everything he's saying here, I think. John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting. He that believeth not on the Son hath, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And then second, the removal of dread. Verse 35, let not his, I think it's verse 35, <coughs> 34, let not his fear terrify me. And then verse 35, then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Removal of fear is one of the works of the mediator that will bring peace. Remember the birth announcement? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Started out with fear not. Uh, this, uh, this is the message that Jesus brings. Uh, the Christ, the great mediator, is in the business of removing fear and bringing peace. And not only that, through his work on the cross, the temple veil split and we now have access to the throne of grace ourselves because of Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross and it tells us now we can come boldly to the throne of grace that's uh, not the attitude Job had he had fear but he wanted that removed and that's removed the daysman I love that picture that's given here we are out of time but praise the Lord that uh, it, you read this whole chapter and it's kind of a drag and Job is right if you take Jesus Christ out of the picture, he's right in all that he says, all his pessimism, all his fatalism. He's right on the money, but the daysman makes all the difference in the praise.